0: Hello and welcome to DigiListen, a weekly podcast about digital service delivery for the voluntary sector. With the sudden impact of coronavirus, charities, community groups, social enterprises and voluntary organisations of all sizes are shifting their service delivery into digital and remote channels. We've been hosting online weekly chats with folks from all kinds of charities, experts and people on the front line about what they're learning and how charities can make use of digital to reach people more than ever before. I'm Ross McCulloch, Director of Third Sector Lab. This week we are talking about digital safeguarding, specifically about the Catalyst new tool, DigiSafe. Joining me this week is Maddie Stark from Scottish Council for Voluntary Organisations. So Maddie, this is a topic that keeps coming up time and time again. We've covered it in previous calls and we had a specific call on violence against women and girls services where we talk about it um, at length. So What's, what's your thoughts on online safeguarding and why we really need to get it right and why we need a tool like DigiSafe?
1: One of the things for me is about, we say this kind of quite a lot, I think in a lot of the work we do, a lot of the topics that we talk about are really, really broad. And having a trusted place to know where we can go to get information is really the key for a lot of people is to have that starting point. And something like DigiSafe, having this tool by an organisation like The Catalyst it really allows people to actually know, I know where to go for this, I know who these folks are that have put this all together, and yeah. understand that where it's come from, you know, it is service user-led, it has got service users at the heart of everything that it does. And it's it just kind of adds to that trust for people because this topic can be so fearful for some of the organizations that it just takes away some of that fear, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So first up, we've got an intro to the Digisafe tool from Joe Robertson, from working with Joe, and Sharon Tromp, who's a service designer with CAST. So the tool Digisafe was designed with a wide range of input from charities. So we don't often see this a lot when we see tools and guides and resources they talk in the abstract. But in Digisafe, we have some actual templates and case studies and examples from third sector organisations. So it's a really, really practical guide
2: so hi everyone, I'm Sian A, i am sean ai work for CAST as a service designer, um, so we work with loads of different charities across the UK to support them with service design, um, and I lead on our Tech for Good and Tech for Sabies programmes as the programme coordinator, um, and really through the process of working with so many charities across the past year or so through these programmes, um, we've seen a real need when charities come to the stage where they're kind of ready to launch a tool or a service digitally to their service users where suddenly there's like a bit of a mad rush and a realization that ooh, there's all of these other aspects and all these things that could potentially go wrong that we haven't really thought about or haven't really planned for Um, and we started seeing these conversations um, and these fears and some of these risks coming up more and more through our different um, peer learning sessions that we have in the program and people just looking for guidance and advice and examples of how to do this well um, and also just kind of the steps to take like it can be really overwhelming thinking about all of the risks involved when you're designing a digital service and how do you kind of break those down into manageable chunks that you can start to think about more practically. We found that many of the charities we were working with often had a safeguarding policy in place but a lot of this was just kind of something that was theoretical and quite in-depth about kind of how they were managing risks across the organisation but it didn't really translate very well into the practical sense of how they would apply these principles um, into a digital context. And I think with the outbreak of COVID, we just saw a a real spike in the number of charities that were having to quickly digitise their services. And so that needs to kind of have some practical guidance to begin to put some risk management processes in place, and also to begin to think about how we designed services in a way that actually protects not only us as an organization, but also the people who are interacting with the different services. We started really coming to the fore and we started hearing a need for something tangible that people could use and learn from a lot more. And that's kind of where this all started from and where we started engaging with Ava. And uh, we've been working with Joe for quite a while as well. Joe's been quite involved in previous kind of tech for good programs as well. So his expertise on um, on just digital safeguarding and risk management was so valuable. And then Joe, Sharbin, and Cordy um, from AVA have have been brilliant in developing um, online digital safeguarding sessions. So we initially ran some online safeguarding workshops with charities, which were initially just for the program grantees that we working with um, but we started getting more and more requests from other charities uh, and so we we brought that app and we opened it out and then we started seeing some of these kind of key themes coming up over and over again and that's kind of how we all got together and decided to do something about it um, and thanks to the brilliant old s- support of the Clothworkers Foundation we could uh, form a bit of a task team to actually start to put the wheels in motion. I'm going to bounce back to Joe.
3: Cool thank you yeah so Um, Shana talked a little bit about um, helping charities through the process of safeguarding, Um, and then she also talked about when designing digital services, and really DigiSafe is all about taking a design-led approach to digital safeguarding um, so that charities can actually find it maybe a bit easier to think about safeguarding at the start of creating a service rather than just before it goes live, Um, and help them go through a process as they are developing and designing their service so that they have support to think about safeguarding at every every step. It's, it's definitely a process rather than an event, but it is about supporting a sort of intentional design-led approach to, to designing the safest possible services. But it's also um, about how to help them get ready to deliver them safely and how to recognise and respond to safeguarding issues when they're actually delivering uh, those services as well so it all kind of mixes up a little bit there's, there's lots of sort of areas where it all sort of blends together but in the end it's about recognizing that there's a process you can go through right from when you start thinking about a service and that um, you're going to be on a journey as you design your service and at different points you're going to need to think about safeguarding in different ways and we also know that there are hundreds of charities um, that are still taking their service online um, that need this 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 input and that there are lots who have done, uh, quite quickly, and this is designed that, so to help them actually go back and do maybe a more thorough risk assessment of what they are offering online. So before DigiSafe, the best things out there was the guide that Ava wrote back in May, and a bit of a risk assessment guide that we developed at Catalyst as well. But there wasn't really one place where you could go and, and expect to get started wherever you are at on your journey. So it is very much designed for hopping in where you are, um, whichever kind of charity you are. But I think the other thing is, of course, we know as, as you're designing a service, it's not like you just kind of go from A to B. There's lots of stopping off points and sometimes you need to cycle back. And as your ideas develop around how your service is going to work, it might raise new issues. So DigiSafe is sort of designed to encourage you to go back and, and just look at your risk assessment as your idea of how you're going to deliver your service gets clearer. And that, that's another reason why I sort of describe it as a process rather than an event, um, because we think you should be cycling back probably and revisiting your risk assessment. And that actually becomes a live dashboard that helps you through that process. We've designed it with the idea that if you're at the right at the beginning stage of your digital safeguarding journey, you probably need to create some kind of policy. And that your foundations are all about either integrating um, digital safeguarding into existing safeguarding policy, uh, or maybe in some cases creating a separate policy for it. But that once that foundation is in place, you can then start thinking about risk assessment, which will be a dynamic process that happens throughout, you know, the process of reviewing your service or designing a new one. And that maybe once you've got that started, you need to also think about universal principles that apply to any kind of digital service delivery. And actually, depending on how your service ends up looking, um, whether you may be delivering over Zoom or by SMS or text message or maybe using chatbots, that there are specific risks that come with each of those platforms uh, and that it's useful to have guidance for particular ways of delivering your services. And then there's also a need, obviously, to educate your staff because when you then implement that service, your staff need to know, understand not just that how this service works in a safe kind of a way, but maybe what if um, I'm a staff member and I'm not able to work face-to-face with people, I'm not able to go and meet them, how do I then recognise safeguarding issues, maybe when I'm on a Zoom call with someone or when I'm having a text interaction with someone? Um, it may be The safeguarding issue may not be digital, but it may be present in that user's life, but noticing it might be, it require different vigilance or pattern recognition, because you're delivering services online rather than face-to-face when you're with that person or maybe in their home. So it's designed at the implementation stage to help you think about how do you help your staff understand digital safeguarding, but also how to recognise abuse or safeguarding issues when they're delivering services. What you see at the moment on DigiSafe is in what we call Alpha. Um, So we're testing it out, and uh, subject to funding, we expect to iterate it further because this is the first time that that anyone's produced anything that tries to be th- this sort of broad and all-encompassing for the sector. So we expect that it can get smarter and savvier as we learn a bit more about how people are using it. So as we heard from
0: Joe there, the point of DigiSafe is to make digital safeguarding easier for you to implement. It covers a lot of areas. Uh, it's got some really simple key principles in there around building foundations, assessing risk, applying principles, design for safety, and that important point. Of educating your staff, your beneficiaries, your trustees and your volunteers. I think the tool has made this not such an overwhelming process and for a lot of people it feels quite terrifying, but actually DigiSafe has broken it down into really simple points. Any thoughts from you there hearing about how the, the tool works in terms of how other charities could use it?
1: I think you're absolutely right Ross, the fact that it breaks it down, it makes it manageable and it allows people to go, to, go somewhere particularly that they're able to go okay this is what I want to do how do I do it where is that where would I find it it makes things easier and again back to that if we can take away a lot of the challenges that people are having just simply in finding a lot of this information then that takes away that initial fear factor of this is such a big thing I don't know where to start and that's what this does for me is it really does provide
0: that starting point. Yeah, and you're gonna, you'll are gonna you get the link in the, the show notes, so um, if you click underneath the podcast, wherever you're listening to, you'll get the link to DigiSafe, but if you're listening just now, it's at digisafe.thecatalyst.org.uk and you can work your way through the tool. Uh, the, the platform's built on Gitbook as well, if you're a bit geekier and you're interested in that, it's a really simple, really nice platform if you've got anything like this where it's a guide. Um, or if it's more of a kind of wiki style page where you're trying to get succinct process-based information to people, it's a really useful tool that you can use in the third sector and they do charity pricing as well. So next up on the call, we heard from Joe Sharpen and Cordelia Ruck from Against Violence and Abuse, or EVA, as they are also known. Um, you can find out more about their organisation at EVA Project, dot org dot uk and they're talking about what underpins these principles and some of the research and learning that's gone into the platform and the tools that you'll see on there
4: joe do you want to start do you want to talk about our role at ava Okay yeah I'll talk about that and then you can
5: cover the principles. So at Ava we're a national charity working to end all forms of gender-based violence and we've been doing work around digital work um, for, for many years actually and I personally have been providing clinical supervision and online counselling for, for several years but obviously as Sharnae was saying when, when Covid hit there were so many charities that were suddenly having to quite quickly move support services online and were understandably concerned about how to do that safely. Um, we were currently also working with Comet Relief and CAST to develop some digital tools ourselves for survivors, adults, and children, survivors of, of domestic abuse. So we were going through that kind of mentoring process with CAST to develop our own resources. And then we're lucky enough to, to work with them to help the rest of the charity sector to think more about safeguarding issues so although we originally came from a a violence against women and girls um, framework there were so many charities from all across various sectors both nationally and internationally that were coming to our services to the webinars and it was fascinating to hear about the different creative ways that people were deciding to move their work online and so we worked originally on our resource guide so that was the original one that we developed um, but then it was really good to work with um, Joe and Cast in more detail to to develop the DigiSafe guide, which is kind of more streamlined and, like you say, has lots of practical templates and things. So together, they they kind of complement each other really well.
4: So as Ross was saying it's one of the great things about the guide is that it kind of has this very clear template and how to kind of go about safeguarding so we created the fourth section of the resource which is um, five key principles to think about when designing for safety Um, and that's thinking about safety both in terms of your users but also in terms of your staff and it's also thinking about it in two different ways as well it's Thinking about safety in the way your service is delivered, but then also about the back office and how the safety of your service users is supported kind of in back office functions, data security, things like that. So the point of creating these principles was really to inform the risk assessment, whether you're creating a risk assessment itself or you're reviewing your own. So I'll run through the five key principles. I won't go into too much detail because hopefully you'll be reading the guide. But these are things that people already know, and anyone working in a support capacity will already always be bearing them in mind. So the point of creating the principles was really to show people that they already know what they're doing. It's just about adapting those principles of consent and privacy and security into a digital space and the differences that might incur in terms of the way you're interacting with your service users. So the first principle was designing for online behaviour. So that's thinking about the way people act differently online. We spoke in the resource about anonymity and how people might be disinhibited when they're online in terms of sharing more than they otherwise would. And it's about designing for those changes in the way people act online. The second principle is privacy. Again, just keeping your users informed at every stage, letting them know what their rights are. The third is consent. And it's also thinking about new ways to consider consent when you're you're getting people's consent online. So ensuring if you're creating an app, for example, that it's opt-in consent or making a consent form engaging. So someone isn't just scrolling, clicking and passing through. People are, again, making them aware of their rights and their privacy rights. The third is information security. So that's all about kind of online information security and offline information security. And then we've got accessibility, which is all about both content and function. And then we kind of finished that section with a bit about guiding your staff and how to ensure that you teach your staff how to maintain these principles when you're designing digital services. So we kind of we noted down some key things to make your staff aware of, for example, how to secure their devices, how to teach their clients to secure their devices as well, how to collect consent, just basic core principles like that, that they should always follow when they're moving to remote working.
5: Great, thank you. And so the next chapter is really building on those principles and thinking about how you use particular types of services online safely. So when we were doing the original webinars with CAST, I think we trained nearly up to 100 different charities who were all thinking about different ways of engaging with their service users, whether it be um, moving face-to-face group work online or one-to-one support, counselling, using chatbots, moderated forums, gaming, um, WhatsApp, all the different possible ways that you can think of that you could communicate online. So we then had to take each of those and think, okay, so what would the risks be for each of those different scenarios? So the main ones that we've covered are video based services, message based services, chatbots and live chats, online groups and forums. Um, So for each of those, we've come up with some key action points that you need to think about. So, for instance, video based servicing. Um, if you're thinking about using zoom or whatever platform does it have the correct levels of security and privacy settings and also accessibility are your users going to be able to have a safe confidential space to use that service and online and, and how are you going to make sure that that you know that they're safe and, and have a confidential space and how are you going to mitigate the risks that we've come up with so for each of these different um, platforms we've thought about the potential risks and for each of those risks we've considered different questions you might need to ask yourself. So if the call quality is very poor or someone disconnects how are you going to ensure that actually your users have got enough data or wi-fi to be able to make those calls and also if someone suddenly drops off the call is it because their wi-fi is gone or because they're suddenly unsafe or they've been triggered by something that's been spoken about and they've they've had to leave so for each of the the platforms we've really tried hard to think about the different risks that could arise so that you can preempt them and then that goes back to the risk assessment that Joe was talking about. So there's a really good template on there, an Excel sheet that you can fill in to prioritise the different um, things you're going to have to think about in terms of risk assessment. Um, And then under the risk section, there's more actions that you can take. So could you think about a safe word or a code in case your user needs to suddenly end the call or if someone's walked into the room? thinking about shared agreements for group calls. So just like in a face-to-face setting with a group work scenario, you would probably start with a group agreement. You would do that online as well, but you need to think about the additional stuff that you're going to have to be mindful of within that. And then, of course, for each of those, we've linked to some useful onward guidance or um, recommending other organisations that seem to be doing this really well. So we've got those for each of the different platforms that we identified that people are mostly using and then the final section section six of digi safe is about education so it's about how we can help our service users to stay safe using the different platforms but also how staff can identify possible abuse when delivering services so we're very mindful that um, especially coming from a violence against women and girls perspective technology is used to abuse and harm in in many different ways and it's a very common way so we've listed the different things to be mindful of there and just to think a little bit about if you're working with someone where you know that's been an issue they might be more reticent to kind of use technology in a supportive way or the the devices they're using might be compromised with spyware and things like that so it's about making sure that 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 is safe for them to use and also that you can recognize abuse if if it's occurring um, during the work that you're doing online with them so there's lots of information there around how you would how you would do that how you might recognize if spyware has been used and these are all things that you can pass on to your service users as well There's lots of things around general safety advice online in terms of helping them to review their digital identity, thinking about different ways to turn off GPS tracking and how to make sure your router is secure and so on. But there's also a really important section which which is about supporting staff themselves Um, and especially at the moment um, we've been hearing a lot about staff who've been quite traumatised by working remotely at home, especially those who are now having to bring trauma and difficult issues into their home environment and how to help them ground themselves and deal with managing that whereas normally they might be in an office and they could have a quick chat with a colleague or debrief really easily. you know, I spoke to one worker and she said, um, I just have to work from my bedroom. So when I'm working, I sit on the right hand side of the bed. And when I'm not, I switch to the left hand side of the bed. Um, That's obviously not the best way to to be kind of maintaining a work life balance. But in some cases, it's all you can do. So how can we actually make that safe? And then also, how can we make it safe for service users? So one of the questions we had on one of the initial webinars was from a a counselling provider who wanted to provide counselling support for a 16 year old about a very difficult um, traumatic issue she had experienced but she was going to have to have that that work from her bedroom and she was very concerned about how then would her bedroom feel safe after she signed off from that Zoom chat? So, you know, there's some practical tips there on what you can do with her in terms of grounding and trauma-informed work to, to make sure that she's able to reclaim that space, having brought it into her home, when normally she would go somewhere else to get that support service. So although it sounds like there's a lot to think about, and obviously stay focuses on the risks, we've also tried to, to show the positives and the amazing opportunities that there are working online. And I think that probably even when lockdown eases, we'll see a lot of these charities continuing to provide work and support online because it does offer so many different creative ways to reach more people and to be more accessible to lots of groups of people who maybe have struggled or have got barriers to accessing face-to-face services for whatever reason. So it'll be really interesting to see in the months ahead how many services carry on to provide these sorts of supports and which is, as Jo said, will continue to To update this guide as we come across new emerging issues.
0: So, I think sometimes we can think about risk assessments and safeguarding as just some paperwork that's going to cover our back, but actually, it needs to be something that's central to the service design process that's going to keep people safe. It's also really nice to hear that we already know this stuff. So, we've been doing this for years in the third sector, designing services that are delivered in physical spaces. And all we're really doing is taking some of those core principles and adapting them for digital platforms. Another thing that came up was the concept of risk and what we're willing to ex- accept. I think Joe Robertson talked about this really succinctly.
3: So risk assessment is definitely not the most exciting thing. In my experience, I've been through a big risk assessment process on an app for children in care a few years ago, and there can be a lot of, lot of work, uh, and it can feel quite overwhelming, especially if you're a small organisation. You know, You're only trying to take one digital service online, and it can feel like, how do I actually do this in a responsible way so that by the end of the process I can actually feel confident that I've covered off the main risks, I've done due diligence around those risks. What we've tried to do is taking a little bit of a a sort of design-led approach to to the risk assessment process, is just try to lay it out really clearly what it is you need to do to go through them. Now, it might be that for some charities, you know, something slightly different is gonna be needed, but in general, there are you know some key steps you gotta do. And it always starts with a bit of research. Um, so we talk here about how to do research, how to use DigiSafe as your first actual point of research in your risk assessment, and then give you a little bit of help with how to assess those risks, um, including, like Joe said, there's a link to a template for a risk assessment matrix, and there's some suggested headings on there So you don't need to go online and find a template that will work for you. This one has probably more than you'll need, actually. You might even decide to remove some of these columns because they're not needed for your organization. But it gives you a template there that, that you can then feel that I've got everything in one place, that I need to be thinking about to make sure the service is as safe as possible. I've got all the information I need here to make a decision about what level of risk my organisation is willing to accept. And actually, DigiSafe Advisors, you shouldn't be making that decision on your own anyway. So by working through that process of assessing the risk, It helps you to make good decisions we know about this anyway from doing offline risk assessments but it can feel like when you're doing it digitally there's a whole load of new stuff to learn about Um, but the process here is just laid out so you can go through it encourages you to document your decisions um, which is really important for accountability and gives you a suggestion that maybe once you've got to a point where your matrix is is fairly static you know you've done a lot of your assessment then at that point you might turn that into something like a little protocol Describing how you're going to use a platform in a particular way, how you're going to do it as safely as possible, because that then helps you to do that process of educating your staff about how to use a platform or how to do it in a way which safeguards users. And then it encourages you, obviously, to go uh, and review that process, review your matrix, as often as is necessary. And again, if you're a tiny, small charity delivering you know, a very simple digital service, maybe via Messenger or something, you're not going to need to review it as often as a service that is delivering one-to-one work via Zoom, group work via Zoom, maybe as an online community of vulnerable people somewhere as well. So really it's that we're trying to give you everything you need here. Um, if you need to go big on it, but also that don't you know it'll help you if you need to just you know, you've not got experience, you need to go through it in a sort of maybe a lighter touch kind of a way. I think one of the other areas that came up that we we talked about that's
0: really important is where does this sit strategically? So what is the role of trustees in safeguarding? They don't need to be involved in the minutiae of how it's deployed in a platform, but what are those high-level discussions around risk and the risk that your organisation is willing to accept? You're a trustee, Maddy, if you've got any thoughts on that point in particular.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's one of those ones that seems it takes precedence. As a trustee, It we, all, we will give it that kind of high level, we really must have this, we really need to flag this, we need to take this into consideration. When actually, it's like, okay, you know, as was already said from the Ava project, was that idea that this is work we're already doing. So it is understanding that we are actually already doing a lot of this stuff within our everyday practice. It's all embedded. And it's not that it's not something we should worry about, but it's something that we should take with as equal importance as lots of other things that are happening. And it's, it's about getting it right. And then, you know, back to Joe's point as well around that idea about as a board, we're never going to eliminate risk completely so what are we willing to accept you know what as a board what level of risk are we willing to accept risk is everywhere so that's the kind of the key i think for me
0: yeah yeah well, i'd urge people as well we had some good discussions from other people in the call and some good questions came in through the chat so if you get a chance to watch the video you'll get that on the CVO youtube page as well so do go and please have a look at that That's all we've got time for. Podcasts will be back next week. Um, If you can join the Zoom calls, you'll get them on the SCVO events page and you'll find more of the podcast in the series on iTunes, Spotify, and all the major podcast platforms. You can subscribe on there. Do please review us and send it on to anyone else that you think might be useful. Don't forget that on the SCVO website, we've got a full range of resources. And on the Third Sector Lab website is also the big Google document, which has got some of these examples and case studies all gathered up in there if you hit the COVID-19 button. Um, Maddie, do you want to tell everyone what your Twitter username is and people can ask you any questions on there?
1: Uh, Twitter is at Stark madeline.
0: Yep, and you can get the rest of the Digiscot team and at Digiscot, um, and you can also harass me shamelessly on Twitter about any of the questions at Third Sector Lab. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
1: Bye!
3: Thanks very much to everybody who made this podcast happen. First of all, the charities who joined us in the call and shared all their wisdom. Secondly, tech for good live podcast crew who brought it all together and finally we're part of the catalyst which is a uk-wide network supporting charities to make better use of digital